Well, good morning, everyone. Again, glad that you're here as we gather to listen to God's Word. Would you please turn in your Bibles to our passage this morning, John 7, verses 1 through 52. That's page 839 and 840 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. If you don't have one, grab one. And if you don't own a Bible, you are more than welcome to take the Bible in the chair back in front of you. Uh, We would love for you to have a copy of God's Word. We live in a world that's filled with controversies. Some big, some small, some close to home, some far away, some that are significant, others that aren't. But one controversy has been boiling for millennia. And we see it boiling in John chapter 7. Call this the Jesus controversy. The controversy about who he is and where he has come from. In John's gospel, we've been seeing the controversy around Jesus, around his identity, building and building, haven't we? Began with miracles that he did in John 2, his cleansing of the temple in John 2 brought opposition. Then as he began to teach more, the controversy just kept building. And in our passage this morning, which is again one long passage, verses 1 through 52, we see the controversy about who Jesus is rising even higher. There's controversy among Jesus' family about his identity. There's controversy around the public about Jesus' identity. There's controversy among the religious leadership about Jesus' identity. And not just who Jesus is, but where Jesus is from. And in this controversy that we see on the pages of John 7, we are confronted with the same questions. Who is Jesus? Where has he come from? What will we believe about him? This is no ancient controversy that doesn't matter, that's from 2,000 years ago that we can put off or ignore. It's something that each of us must come to terms with. And we will either conclude that Jesus is who he says he is, or we'll conclude that he's a liar who has deceived many over the millennia. But this controversy is not just a revelation of who Jesus is. It also exposes who we are. As we'll see in this passage, our responses to Jesus show whether we truly love God or not. And so this controversy is about Jesus, but it also exposes our hearts. So would you stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word? It's a long passage, so if you need to sit down, that's okay. I'll be reading John 7, 1 through 52. And as I go, I want you to pay close attention to the split opinions about Jesus, to the questions people raise about Jesus, and to what Jesus says about himself. Let us listen to God's word. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me 
because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man. Others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit has not been, had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David? and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was. So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. 
The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This passage, as I said, is filled with controversy, isn't it? Controversy that all is swirling and surrounding Jesus. Who he is, that's what is being debated, and where he's from. Did you notice that as we read through? There are a lot of questions about where he gets his teaching from, where he comes from, how he can be the Messiah if he's from Galilee. So the questions are all surrounding Jesus' identity and specifically where Jesus is from. And so those are the issues that are at play. And what we need to realize, and as we've been seeing through John's gospel, is that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he is the Son sent by the Father to draw people to eternal life that the Father has sent Jesus the Son into the world, that Jesus is aligned with the Father, and that our responses to Jesus show our responses not just to Jesus, but to the Father. So the Father sent the Son, Jesus came from the Son, Jesus is the promised Christ, the promised Messiah. He is the only one through whom eternal life comes. But as we see in the passage, not everyone believes this. Many reject Jesus while others believe in him. There's split opinions about this Jesus, just as there are split opinions today about Jesus. My hope as we walk through the passage is that we will see Jesus' claim about himself, that he is the Son sent by the Father, and that we will see that the responses to Jesus reveal much Not just about Jesus, but about those responding to Jesus. Jesus, as we'll see, is sort of like a spiritual litmus test. How many of you know litmus tests? My dad was a chemist, so I'll talk about litmus tests. For those of you who don't know, a litmus test is something that you use, you expose it to a substance, and it tells you whether the substance is an acid or a base. It shows you something about that which it comes into contact with. Jesus is sort of like a spiritual litmus test. He came into contact with people then. He comes into contact with people today. And how we respond to him shows who we are. It reveals whether we are in alignment with God or whether we are in rebellion against God. And so it shows us the hearts of men. Jesus exposes both belief in the Father and rejection of him. So let us walk through the passage and let us see this on display. Passage begins, we're told that Jesus, after the events of chapter 6 at Passover, had went about in Galilee, his home turf. He knew that the religious leaders, that's what the word Jews here means, it's not all ethnic Jews, it's the Judean religious leaders, that they were seeking to kill him. 
because they believed him to be a rebel against God. They believed him to be an enemy of God. And so they were seeking to kill him. So he returned to his home turf in Galilee to sort of lay low, to let the heat kind of calm down a little bit. But six months later, the Feast of Booths was at hand. This was a significant religious festival, and his brothers, his own family members, don't believe him. They don't believe he's the Messiah. They don't believe he's sent by God. They're skeptical. And so they tell him, really, it's been six months. Put up or shut up. You can really do these things. Show it in public. Notice what they say, verse 3. Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, which they don't believe he can do, Show yourself to the world. If you're really from God, if you're really able to do these miracles, prove it. Prove it in public. Show everyone at the feast. They don't believe he's truly from God. But Jesus responds in a very interesting way where he shows that rejection of him is not just rejection of Jesus. It is rejection of the Father who sent Jesus. And that rejection of Jesus is not primarily something that happens because we even-handedly weigh the evidence and find Jesus wanting. That all rejection of Jesus is ultimately the result of evil, of rebellion against God. Notice what Jesus says. He says to them, My time has not yet come. It's not yet time for me to die, he's saying. But your time is always here. Verse 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Why does it hate Jesus? Because I testify about it that its works are evil. Jesus says the reason why they're trying to kill me down in Judea, the reason why people reject me, the reason that the world hates me, that's strong language, Jesus says the world hates him, is what? That the world does evil. The world is in rebellion against God. And the world does not want its evil deeds exposed in the light of Jesus' holiness, in the light of Jesus' presence. And so the reason for rejection of Jesus is ultimately a matter of sin. It's a matter of spiritual rebellion. And those who reject Jesus oppose Jesus because they not only oppose Jesus, but they refuse to live in obedience to the Father who sent Jesus. Rejection of Jesus is no even-handed action. It is a mark of spiritual rebellion against the Father. Jesus said something very similar in his exchange with Nicodemus in John 3. We turn to John 3, 19-20. Jesus has just finished talking about how whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. How God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. But then he says this. He says, this is the judgment. The light, referring to himself, has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Jesus says, I'm the light in the world. 
I have come into the world sent by the Father to bring salvation to those who believe and yet most, he says, will hate me. And they hate me because of their spiritual darkness. They hate me because of their rebellion against God. They hate me because they refuse to allow their sin to be exposed for what it is and to be burned away by my righteousness and holiness. It is because of the world's evil, because of the world's rebellion against God, that the world rejects Jesus. Ultimately, rejection of Jesus stems from rebellion against God. And that is why when the Father sent the Son into the world, so many reject Him. That is why so many today reject Him. Because we love our sin more than we love God and His ways. And that's how we need to make sense of all the opposition we're going to see in the remainder of John 7. All the opposition we've seen up to this point. All the opposition we see in our world to Jesus. It is ultimately a manifestation of a world that is in rebellion against God and that refuses to embrace the true light. Refuses to embrace the life that God brings out of a love for sin and a desire to avoid sin being exposed. That's what's happening with Jesus' brothers here. That's why they don't believe him. That's what's happening with the religious leaders of Jesus' day. That's why they're seeking to kill him. That is why many in John 6 stumbled over Jesus. Because they love sin. Jesus makes clear sin is the reason why he is hated. Sin is the reason why he is rejected. We read on, verses 10 through 13, that after his brothers had gone up to the feast, Jesus then eventually also went up, not publicly, but in private. He knew that the religious leaders were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? Verse 11. And as he arrived, there was much quiet talk about him, a split opinion. Some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's a deceiver. He's leading the people astray. He can't be both. Good men don't deceive. So some embrace him, some reject him. But it's all very hush-hush. It's taking place in the corners because they know that the religious leaders are looking to kill Jesus. And then there's this startling scene in verse 14 through 15 where about the middle of the feast, Jesus goes into the temple and begins teaching. And his teaching is incredible. It's persuasive. It's from God. And so those there marvel and they said, how is it that this man has this learning and this teaching when he's never studied under any of the authoritative rabbis out of any of the religious authorities. And then Jesus makes clear that he is sent from the Father. And as the one sent from the Father, he brings the Father's teaching. Verse 16, he says this, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. He says, I'm in perfect alignment with the Father. I am bringing the teaching that the Father has sent me into the world to bring. And then he says something beautiful that's sort of the inverse of what he's said in verse 7. Verse 7, he makes clear that the world opposed to God hates the Son because of sin. But in verse 17, he makes clear that those who are aligned with God believe in the Son. Those who are aligned with the Father Embrace the Son whom the Father has sent. Notice what he says, verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God 
or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Jesus says, if anyone truly loves God, they'll know the truth about me. They'll know whether I'm making this all up out of my head, whether I'm a crazy man, whether I'm a deceiver, or whether my teaching is truly from God, Jesus says. See, what's being said here is that those who are in rebellion against God will not believe in Jesus. They hate Jesus. But those who are in alignment with the Father, those who seek to do God's will, will know Jesus. And so Jesus is the spiritual litmus test. Those who believe in him show themselves to be in accord and in alignment with the Father who sent him. Those who reject him show themselves to be in rebellion against God, to love their evil deeds more than they love God. And so Jesus says, I'm the litmus test. I reveal whether you love God or not, whether you are in rebellion against God or not. Now, I want to be clear here. I'm not saying that we earn our way to God or that our salvation begins with us. Jesus is crystal clear, just last chapter, John 6, 44 through 45, that our salvation begins with the Father working in us. It says this, John 6, 44 through 45, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So those who are coming to faith in Jesus here, those who seek to do God's will and know the truth about Jesus, know the truth and are aligned with God because God draws them to himself. But nevertheless, the fact that they come to faith in Jesus shows that God is drawing them, shows that they are the ones who truly know God, shows that they are the ones who are in alignment with the Father. So Jesus, our response to Jesus, reveals whether we truly seek to do God's will or whether we are so in love with our evil deeds, whether we are so in love with our sin that we reject him. Jesus is the litmus test. Jesus is the one who exposes and reveals where each of us is truly at and who exposes our world for what it is. Now Jesus goes on to criticize the religious leaders who claim to be aligned with God, who claim to seek to do God's will, and yet who reject him and disobey God. He says this, The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. He's saying, I'm sent from the Father, I'm seeking the glory of the Father, I'm not lying to you. And then he says this, he says, So why are you, who claim to love God, speaking to the religious leaders of his day, disobeying God. He says, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? He says, you all are trying to kill me. And they were trying to kill him. He says, if you really loved God, why would you seek to do this great evil of murdering me? Surely if you loved God, you would obey God and you wouldn't seek to kill me. And the people say, Jesus, you're crazy. You're demon possessed. Who's trying to kill you? And Jesus answered them. He says, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Here he's referring to the events of John 5 that we saw two weeks ago where he was healing a man on the Sabbath, which they believed was disobedience to God. He says, I did one work, you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, which was a religious rite that they practiced, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. That's allowed on the Sabbath. And so if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision that the law of Moses may not be broken, 
Are you angry with me for healing people on the Sabbath? He says, clearly that's allowed on the Sabbath. That's not a violation. I'm not the one rebelling against God. Jesus says, you are. And he says this, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Jesus is the one who perfectly reveals the Father's will. Jesus is the one sent by the Father that people may come to know him. And it is Jesus' enemies who are in rebellion against God, not Jesus himself. He is the one sent from the Father. He is the one seeking the glory of the Father. He is the one who brings the teaching of the Father. He is the one who is perfectly in line with the will of the Father. They are the ones who are out of line. They are the ones whose evil is leading them to rebel against the Father who sent Jesus. Then we go on to read about further controversy. The people are split about Jesus. They see him speaking openly and they say, isn't this the guy that they're trying to kill? But he's speaking publicly, so maybe they know something we don't. Maybe the religious leaders actually do believe that he's sent from God, that he's the Christ. But then verse 27, they say, but we know where Jesus comes from. We know he's from Galilee. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. Now, they're drawing off of a misunderstanding of the Old Testament. There are prophecies in Zechariah and in Malachi that spoke of the Messiah, the Christ, showing up unexpectedly in the temple, which is what Jesus does here when he shows up in the temple and begins teaching. But they interpreted that, some interpreted that to mean that no one would have ever known of the Messiah before he just shows up in the temple. Which was a misunderstanding of the Old Testament. But they say, but we know where he's from. We know he's from Galilee, so he can't be the Messiah. And then Jesus responds by again emphasizing that he's from the Father. He says this, he proclaimed as he taught in the temple, verse 28, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. I'm not winging it. I'm not off on my own deal. I'm in alignment with the Father. I know he who sent me is true, and him you do not know. If they knew him, they would have embraced the Son sent by the Father. He says, I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. Jesus says, I am the one sent by the Father, and you all, speaking to those who didn't believe, don't believe in me because you don't know him. If you knew the Father who sent me, you would recognize me. But because you don't recognize me, it shows you don't actually know my Father. That's the argument. And so, verse 30, they were seeking to arrest him. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. It was not yet time for him to go to the cross and to die. And so he was kept safe from the attempts to arrest him. But the picture isn't all doom and gloom. It isn't all people rejecting Jesus out of hatred and rejecting the Father who sent him. We see, verse 31, that many of the people believed in him. And they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Just like we see in verse 12, some say he's a deceiver, but others say he's a good man. There's split opinions. Some are rejecting Jesus and so rejecting God. And yet some are embracing Jesus and so are embracing God in the flesh are embracing the Father who sent the Son into the world. Some reject, some believe. Which one will you be? The Pharisees, when they hear the crowd muttering these things about him, when they see the split opinions, and especially when they see people begin to embrace Jesus, send out officers, these were religious police at the time, 
to arrest Jesus, verse 32. And then Jesus tells them, he says, look, I'm just going to be here for a little while and then I'm going to return to the Father. And when I return to the Father, you aren't going to be able to follow me there because you aren't in alignment with the Father. He says this, I will be with you a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. I'm returning to my Father. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. As I'm going back to the Father, you're not in alignment with the Father, and so you aren't able to follow me back to the Father. And they misunderstand this. They think he's talking about going out someplace else to teach the Greeks, which ironically is what would happen with the Christian church. There's an irony here where after many of the Jewish people rejected Jesus, it was many Greeks who believed in him. But they don't get it. They say, what does he mean by saying, you will seek me? and you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. They're confused. They don't understand that Jesus is the one sent from the Father, ultimately because of their sin, and so they are unable to follow him. So again, we see many rejecting Jesus. But for those who do believe in Jesus, Jesus promises life. Life sharing in the life that God brings. The Father sent the Son into the world and the Son pours out the Spirit on those who believe in Him. And so Jesus promises that all who believe in Him, the minority that believe in Him, that are aligned with the Father as the Father draws them, that they will receive the blessings of life through the Spirit. You see this in a dramatic moment in verses 37-39. through On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this is really dramatic. We're told it's on the last day of the feast, the great day that Jesus stands up. They've been seeking to kill him. So he's in the temple and he take, he steals the scene, basically. Everyone sees him, and it's even more impactful when we understand the background. So we're told at the beginning that this took place at the Feast of Booths. This was a religious feast where Israel celebrated God's kindness to them, the blessings he brought to them, and where they looked forward to the day when God would pour out his Spirit on them. And so on the last day of the feast, they would do this ritual where they would pour water out through and in front of the altar of the temple, and it symbolized God's promised blessing to Israel, promised in Ezekiel and Isaiah. And so as they're pouring this water out on the last day of the feast, Jesus stands up and says, I'm the living water. If anyone believes, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He says, I am the one who brings the living water you need. I am the one who brings the blessing you've been waiting for for so long. I am the one who is going to pour out the Spirit on you. As John makes clear in verse 39. It is Jesus alone who brings life. It is Jesus who fulfills the promises God had made for blessing in the Old Testament. It is Jesus who was sent by the Father as the Son to pour out the Spirit on those who believe in Him. And those who believe in Him receive the water that will never leave them thirsty. Those who come to Jesus receive the Spirit. God Himself 
dwelling in them. And not only do they receive the blessings of God, they are conduits of his blessing to others. Out of the heart of the one believing in Jesus will flow the the rivers of living water. So Jesus says, I'm the one sent by the Father, come into the world to pour out the Spirit on those who believe in me, to satisfy them, to make them a source of blessing to others. Come to me and drink, Jesus says. Believe in me and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Enter into the life that God brings. And that is what he offers us. If you're here and you are believing in him, you have received the Holy Spirit. You are to be a source of blessing to others. You are to share the message of Jesus with everyone. And it's a salvation you've received because the Father has drawn you to the Son and you believed in the Son and the Son has poured out the Spirit on you. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet believing in Jesus, if you come to him and drink, you will never go thirsty again. You will be spiritually satisfied. You will have the life of God in you and you will be a source of life for others as you point them to Jesus. There is nothing better than knowing Jesus, the living water, than drinking of him and experiencing the life of God. So believe in him. Embrace the Son sent from the Father to pour out the Spirit. But, as we see at the end of verses 40 through 52, not everyone drinks. Not everyone believes. There's a split decision, if you will. Some, when they heard these words, verse 40 said, this is really is the prophet. This is one speaking for God. Others said, this is the Christ. This is the one God has promised who we've been waiting for. They get it. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Isn't he supposed to come from Bethlehem? How can Jesus be the Christ if he's from Galilee? Notice their reason for not believing him is the opposite reason of the people in verses 25 through 27. Their reason is we know where Jesus is from, so we won't believe in him. Their reason is he's not coming from the right place, even though he actually was from Bethlehem. They didn't know that. So there's more confusion about Jesus. And so we're told there was a division among the people over him. And some wanted to arrest him, but not everyone. Some believe, some reject. And even among the religious leadership who seemed so hell-bent on disobeying God by killing Jesus, even among them, there's some cracks. We read that the officers who they've sent out to arrest Jesus in verse 32 return, verse 45, And the chief priests and Pharisees said to them, why didn't you bring him? Where is he? You're supposed to arrest him. And they answered, no one ever spoke like this man. They who had gone to arrest Jesus were impressed by Jesus. And the Pharisees say, have you also been deceived? Has Jesus pulled the wool over your eyes too? Have any of us, the religious authorities or the Pharisees, believed in him? But the crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Pharisees say we are the ones in alignment with God. Jesus is the rebel against God. They say we are the ones who know God's ways and know what God wants. Jesus is the one who is doing evil and is in rebellion against God. And all those who are following him, they are rebels against God too, and so they're damned. Verse 49. But the irony here is that they are the ones who are in rebellion against God. They are the ones who are seeking to murder Jesus. They are the ones who do not know the law. They are the ones 
who should believe in Jesus, they are the ones who ultimately end up being accursed because they are the ones who are doing evil and who are out of alignment with the Father. There's a deep irony here that many in John 7 who believe themselves to be in alignment with God, who believe themselves to be holy, are actually the evildoers who are rejecting the Son. And so not just rejecting the Son, but rejecting the Father who sent Him and cutting themselves off from the promised blessings of the Spirit that they had been waiting for for so long. But even among the Pharisees, there's a glimmer of hope. Nicodemus, who had spoken with Jesus before and who didn't really get it in John 3, says, well, let's hold up a little bit. Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? As we'll see at the end of John's Gospel, Nicodemus comes to faith. Nicodemus believes in Jesus and he goes public with it when he asks for Jesus' body. And so even among the religious leaders that are seeking to kill Jesus, God is at work drawing people from darkness to light, from rebellion against him to belief in him. He is working to draw people into the life of God. So where are you at with Jesus? Who do you think he is? Where do you think he's from? Do you think he's a good man? Or do you think he's a deceiver? Do you think he's in alignment with the Father? Or do you think he's a rebel? Do you think he's one you should follow? Or do you think he's one who will lead others astray? My prayer is that you would believe in him. That you would come to know him. That if you are believing in him, that you would set your affections and your love on him. And that as you believe in Jesus the Son, that you would experience the life of God, that the Holy Spirit would be flowing out of you to share the message of Jesus with others. That all might know Jesus, and through Jesus know the Father, and through Jesus know the Spirit. That we all might know the triune God, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that we might have life through him. May that be true of each of us. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet believing in Jesus, I would love to talk with you and hope that God will draw you from death to life. Would you please pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for sending the Son into the world full of grace and truth, bringing your teaching, seeking your glory according to your will that we might know you. We thank you that you sent the Son into the world to pour out the Spirit on us that we might experience the life that you bring and share that life with others. With those of us who know you, be a source of living water to others. May we point them to the Son that they might know you, the Father, and experience the blessings of the Spirit. And Father, I pray for those here this morning who remain in rebellion against you. May they be like Nicodemus whose eyes you opened and who sought to do God's will and came to know you through the Son. Would they come to faith and would we as a church bring you, the triune God, all the glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.